From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And joining me for this edition is Father Paul Kostka, the 3rd Battalion Chaplain at the U.S. Naval Academy. Father Kostka, thank you so much for talking to me. Yes, thank you for having me today. So uh, how are things going at the Naval Academy? We're here in the going on second year of the COVID uh, pandemic, and we're recording this on February 25th, 2021. Uh, how, uh, you know, how has the um, pandemic continued to affect life at the Naval Academy? Yeah, so, you know, the Naval Academy is a training command, and so, you know, compared to, you know, active duty installations that are more operational in nature, you know, we have some different challenges that we face. Uh, you know, we're, our goal is to prepare midshipmen to, to serve in the Navy and Marine Corps, and so that's been our overarching focus. Uh, I think in, you know, many ways there's been challenges not being able to have, you know, the... Uh, the retirees, you know, be be at mass, for example, uh, but much of the much of what we do to serve the midshipmen in terms of the faith um, still still exists. We've got mass every Sunday, you know, twice a day. We confession, adoration, uh, the sacraments are still being celebrated. So there is challenges, uh, but you know, much is is still remaining and. For example, you know, we had between the three masses that we did on Ash Wednesday, we had 816, you know, midshipmen and faculty and staff at, at mass between the three masses. So, you know, it's uh, definitely still the ministry is alive and well uh, amongst the Catholics. I hear you. And uh, wow, over 800 uh, midshipmen coming to mass along with the professors and you know, officers and et cetera. Uh, what would you say the percentage of Catholics is at the U.S. Naval Academy? So, on a, according to our mailing list, you know we have 800, uh, you know that have identified as being Catholic and wanting to be on like the email distro. Uh, so we would say, just based on what information we have that's volunteered from the midshipmen, uh, that we have about 800 out of the 4,500 or so. I see. And all of the masses that you celebrate there are in the large chapel there on campus? Normally, uh, you know, outside of COVID, it, there's, it's, it's kind of set up differently. So the morning mass on Sunday is celebrated in the main chapel. And then daily mass every day around 1250 is also celebrated in the main large uh, chapel. Then on Sunday night, uh, we currently use an auditorium, which is in Bancroft Hall, which is the Naval Academy Super Dorm. And so that, that mass is in an auditorium, basically, because uh, it permits the midshipmen to be able to come to mass in less formal attire. If they come into the main chapel, according to midshipmen regulations, they have to be in, you know, dress blues. And so the evening mass is a little more uh, casual for the midshipmen. I see. And Bancroft Hall, I believe, is the largest dormitory in the world. That is what I've been told. Yes, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's an impressive building. And the the beautiful thing about the Chaplain Center and that auditorium and everything is, the Chaplain Center is part of the Bancroft Hall complex. So and and even in my own 
uh, office as the third battalion chaplain, my office is literally like in the wing where my battalion is. So we're completely integrated in uh, to the life of the midshipmen and the life of the battalion in my case, um, you know, which is very different from, you know, being at some far distant office, you know, in a separate building. They don't see you as being separate, but as, as part of their their life. And so there's uh, opportunities that you would never get in any other situation. But the fact that we're actually physically, you know, with them in the in the super dorm uh, gives unique opportunities. It's like Pope uh, Francis said, uh, smell like the sheep, right? You're Indeed. Right there among the sheep. Uh, so, um, Father Koska, uh, 3rd Battalion Chaplain at the uh, U.S. Naval Academy, we hear a lot about um, secularization in society, not only in society at large, but in the military, and particularly among young people. Uh, what's your read? Uh, the, you work with a lot of young people, young men and women. Uh, do you uh, find that uh, there are um, a good many of them who are actually taking their Catholic faith seriously, or is secularization a growing problem in your experience? So I, I think, you know, if we just look at that sheer number, for example, at the Ash Wednesday Mass, you know, it does give some hope, you know, that Catholic midshipmen and, you know, are, are taking their faith seriously, uh, taking time to go to Mass on Ash Wednesday and other masses during the year. So I do think there is a pressure. And I think particularly, you know, the practical challenge is often once they, you know, get out of high school or even out of college or, for example, at the academy, you know, at the academy, there's a large concentration of of them. You know, one of the challenges, I think, is as they graduate, you know, the amount of people, uh, amount of their peers that there's not as big of a concentration, I guess. And so, you know, learning how to uh, live out your faith in a situation and circumstance that might be more isolating or where there might not be, you know, 800 of your fellow uh, classmates going to mass over the course of an Ash Wednesday. Um, and so I think that's, you know, one of the challenges is not feeling isolated. And when you're in high school or college and there's a lot of opportunities available to you, it's a little bit easier, I think. Um, and so learning uh, to live your faith in more challenging circumstances, I think a significant problem. Um, and, you know, as well, I guess with the secularization piece in particular, the thing that I've often found in interacting with uh, high school, college students and midshipmen as well, uh, is that often it's more of a drift than a rejection. You know, it's, it's often a drift from the practice of their faith versus an outright rejection. Like they don't necessarily hate the church or they don't hate God, you know, but there's often a drift that happens where they slowly over a period of time, stop going to mass. I mean, so often, you know, it's simply, they simply need somebody to walk alongside them as, as Pope Francis has talked about with this idea of accompaniment to walk alongside them and invite them to reconsider, you know, reconsider the practice of their faith to, you know, invite them back to mass or back to the sacrament of reconciliation. And, you know, I found in some cases, in most cases, you know, people are open to that, but often nobody has ever reinvited them. Um, and so, and it's one thing, you know, to 
hear about something, you know, from the pulpit, from a distance, it's another thing to have a one-on-one interaction where somebody is inviting you back or, you know, to have a fellow midshipman, for example, invite you to return to go to mass with them. Right. And so the impact that individual midshipmen or individual service members can have on, on one another, I think is profound, you know, and the, the witness and example of individual people is, you know, is powerful and can't be underestimated. And there's obviously value to things like a podcast, but right at the same time, you know, we have to translate, we have to translate what we hear into action in our own lives. And, you know, at that age, I don't know if that's unusual to, it's that unusual to, uh, you know, drift away a little bit. I know in my own experience when I was in my early 20s, I went for a few months and didn't attend mass, but I got back, you know. So uh, I don't know that that necessarily something to be concerned about so much as if they were actually outright rejecting their faith and uh, preaching the gospel of atheism or agnosticism, for example. So what kinds of issues do the uh, midshipmen that you counsel and uh, walk with uh, confront? We hear a lot about the older servicemen and women, the veterans who are dealing with post-traumatic stress and moral injury. Uh, Midshipmen, I would expect, are a little young to be confronting those issues. So what kinds of issues are they facing? Right, so a majority of midshipmen are are, you know, right out of high school. Uh, there is a portion of midshipmen that are prior enlisted, for example, and so they'll uh, come into the academy after a few years of active service. Um, it, there's also, a, you know, a small portion of uh, f- people that are freshmen in, high, in college that decide to apply during their freshman year of college to come to the Naval Academy. So then they end up doing four years at the Naval Academy after, you know, one year of college. And so there are a variety of circumstances, but I would say in general, you know, a few things uh, that, you know, challenges that they're facing, you know, one would be the just practical challenge of going from being in a college, in a high school situation, you know, where they were the, they were, so for plebes, for example, the the freshmen, you know, they, they face the challenge of having been seniors in high school, like, and then coming and being the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, there's also the initial transition and pressure of, you know, going from a civilian situation to uh, the expectations and standards of the military. Uh, and I would also say, too, uh, the the you know, learning to, learning to deal with, you know, new stresses, but also learning to sometimes recognize the fact that they have to take responsibility in a new way. You know, they might have, their parents might have, you know, helped them, uh, and they might have been dependent in, in a way, you know, on their parents that once they are at the academy, they have to take responsibility in, in, in a different way that, you know, so a lot of the challenges just of, of, you know, standard high school to college type transition, I would say. But then, you know, in particular, I think in the in preparing to be an officer, you know, having to wrestle with the possibility of, you know, going, going into a profession where you use lethal force, right? And 
and dealing with with death uh, in a, in a way that they might not have ever thought about. You know, so they show up to the academy, and then at some point, you know, especially as they prepare to commit, because first and second year um, at the academy, you uh, aren't contractually obligated, and then at the beginning of your third year, you um, become contractually obligated. And so I think I've encountered a number of midshipmen who, you know, just have to wrestle with the fact of going into a profession which uh, could re require them to use lethal force. Um, and so, and, and, you know, in particular, different potential service assignments that they could choose where there's you know, an even greater likelihood of that, you know, amongst, amongst certain uh, jobs within the military. And so wrestling with that, facing that, and, and it's, and it becomes less abstract and more the question of, can I individually, can I personally handle this? Uh, Let's talk about that. Christ preaches peace. Christianity is fundamentally a, uh, uh, you know, a religion of peace. And uh, these young men and women are entering a uh, profession where they will have to use lethal force. Do you encounter any uh, conflict, any um, you know, philosophical conflict, ethical conflict that these young men and women may face as they embark on this career? Yeah, so I, I would say, you know, there's, there's definitely the, the tension of, you know, Jesus obviously models... Uh, a non nonviolent use of and so he's sacrificing his life laying down his life um and and at the same time you know the there is as well you know a long tradition of uh christian soldiers and and the moral use of force and you know intervening with force in order to to save the lives of of others and to, in a certain sense, right, rescue not only individuals, but other nations from oppression. And, and, you know, in particular, you know, I look at, you know, my grandfather's generation of, you know, the World War II era and how uh, American service members helped to liberate Europe from the oppression of, of Nazism. And, um, and there was really no way to do that. There was no way to liberate Europe without the physical intervention of military force because the the oppression had its origin in overwhelming military uh, you know power that had basically overtaken all of all of Europe at the time and so and spreading evil and yeah and spreading evil and and so and even you know I think about sometimes how you know I wonder if we had you know gone in earlier right if we would have been able to save more lives, right? Because the, the longer that we waited to enter into the war, the United States, you know, we, people were dying, the, the Holocaust, you know, was, was taking place. And so uh, while, while sometimes it, uh, pacifism sounds nice in theory, uh, I think, you know, in the concrete circumstances that we saw in the 20th century, um, it shows the importance of um, military intervention in order to save the lives of of those that are being oppressed. 
I'm talking to Father Paul Koska, 3rd Battalion Chaplain at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, Father Koska, you've been at the Naval Academy for uh, now since, what, uh, October, so four four months, five months. Um, uh, where were you before that? So prior to being at the Naval Academy, I was uh, serving as a, a reservist at the, the Navy Reserve Center in Denver, so... Uh, the U.S. Navy, ironically, has you know a, a naval reserve center in the middle of Colorado, right in a landlocked state. Um, <laughs> but go figure. So all over the country, uh, the Navy Reserve has uh, these Navy Reserve centers where there's both Navy personnel and Marine Corps reservists that serve that help to uh, support the active duty uh, mission of the Marine Corps and the Navy, and so. Prior to coming to the Naval Academy, I was I was serving uh, w- with a Marine Corps unit that helped to support the Third Marine Expeditionary Force. So I was doing that in the Navy side as a civilian because reservist. When we're not activated, you know, our full time job in a sense, right, is in the civilian world, and then we're also serving uh, with the Navy. On the civilian side, I was serving as a uh, Catholic campus uh, chaplain for the University of Denver, which is a private but secular institution. And so that's what I was doing immediately before I got activated. So I was mobilized by the Navy uh, to come to the Naval Academy. So you had experience working with young people. Yes. Yeah, so I serve, I've have about, uh, I worked at the high school level for about eight years, and then uh, had two years of college ministry experience prior to being uh, sent to the Naval Academy. You're a member of the Servants of Christ Jesus. Tell me about that religious community. Yeah, so the Servants of Christ Jesus were a community that was uh, inspired to start in 2004. We have a Ignatian and charismatic spirituality, and we particularly focus on outreach to youth and young adults in particular. Uh, in 2008, uh, or in 2006, we moved uh, from Ohio to Denver, and so we've been based out of uh, the Archdiocese of Denver with the support of the local bishop since 2006. And, uh, and so I went to seminary in Denver as a member of my community and then got ordained in Denver. And so my community uh, is you know headquartered in Denver, but we do. Uh, and we have regular ministries in Denver, but we also have, you know, done youth outreach and college outreach around the country. And in 2008, when I was, uh, I, I visited the Air Force Academy in 2008 and realized the military chaplaincy existed, you know. And, uh, and so it was through that interaction at the Air Force Academy that I ended up being, it's the seed was planted that uh, ended up, you know, coming to fruition in 2017 when I started applying uh, for the chaplaincy and actually visited here uh, to Washington, D.C. to meet with Archbishop. and started, Arch- Archbishop Timothy Brolio. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so was able to visit with him and talk with him about where the main needs uh, in the archdiocese were and, and which service might most uh, fit with my my desire, but also the needs of the services. And so I ended up starting uh, the journey really right after meeting with him. 
I see. Well, tell me about your background. Uh, where did you grow up? How did you discern your vocation? Yeah, so I grew up in, I was born in, uh, in England. My dad was working overseas for uh, an oil company and happened to be assigned there for five years. So not military, but, you know, was my, my life was impacted like many military uh, families by, by moving around the, around the world a little bit. Um, and so we moved back to Texas when I was about two years old. And then from the time I got back when I was two to when I graduated from high school, I was living in the Woodlands, Texas. I discovered my vocation when I was on a retreat, uh, a life teen retreat when I was in high school. Uh, I hadn't gone to confession in a long time. And so went to confession uh, to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And just a few minutes after that, uh, felt the inspiration to pursue the priesthood. And that began me on my journey where I ended up graduating from high school, uh, going to Franciscan University where I studied philosophy, and then uh, eventually pursued uh, religious life and ordination and all of that. Well, I can say as a Catholic and a member of the Archdiocese for the Military Services, thank you for your vocation and your sacrifice. And uh, we, as you know, are in dire need of priests to serve in the U.S. military. Have you uh, seen in your experience, uh, both in Colorado and here at the Naval Academy, the impact of the priest shortage? So I, I would... I would say my my the fact that I'm at the Naval Academy, uh, you know, as a reservist is is indicative of the the shortage of active duty priests, right? Um, and so, I think part of the whole reason why I got mobilized from the reserves to come was because they weren't able they were they didn't have the personnel on the Catholic side to bring you know another Catholic priest at the time to replace um, the the command chaplain, Father Foley, that was retiring at the time. And so, you know, I I think my presence in, in Annapolis in, in a certain way shows, shows the need. Um, but at the same time, I guess I would say there's, there's something very um, attractive, you know, uh, about military chaplaincy and about people authentically living their vocation. And so I think while there is some challenges right now, I do think in the long term, um, because of the honorable service of, of so many uh, Catholic chaplains that are currently serving the witness, their witness and example, I do think we're going to see um, a, a resurgence uh, in vocations to the military chaplaincy in particular. Uh, but it, it requires, you know, sacrifice and requires, uh, you know, juggling a lot of different worlds, you know, uh, as a reservist, I feel it particularly so, you know, if you have to have to remain on top of everything, you know, with my civilian job, plus my own prayer life, plus the reserves and keeping not just physically in shape, but keeping myself administratively, you know, together uh, so that uh, I'm able to mobilize and able to respond uh, to the needs that come. And so it is a lot to juggle, you know, and so but it's worth the sacrifice and being able to be present to service members uh, is worth all the administrative inconveniences that come about sometimes. Are you the only Catholic chaplain at the Naval Academy? No, so there is a, a, second, a second priest at the Academy uh, that serves. He's uh, the, actually the 4th Battalion Chaplain, Father Luke Dundon. He's actually an alumni from the Academy um, and then 
uh, pursued the priesthood. Is um, he active duty? And so he's active duty, yes. I see. Uh, so uh, you're there for at least one year. I am there for one year, yeah. Uh, if you if you said at least uh, to my my uh, ordinary back in Denver, he would say it, it's one year. Uh, so so I, I am there for just one year. I see. And then after that, back to Colorado and uh, back to service in the reserves? Yes, that's correct. So I'll, I'll get back to Colorado. And then, you know, um, like any other reservist, I could be called up in a future time uh, to respond to a need. Do you have a parish in Colorado? Uh, I serve um, at the University of Denver campus ministry, which is under a particular parish in Denver. But, you know, day to day, you know, I, I primarily just work out of, I, I worked primarily out of the University of Denver ministry center. And so I, I didn't necessarily have daily interaction with the parish, nor was it, that wasn't uh, a primary responsibility. For the young man out there who is discerning a vocation, thinks he might like to be a uh, U.S. military chaplain and a Catholic priest, what's your advice? That's a great question. Uh, so I guess I would say two things, you know, is uh, train train now. Uh, so, you know, being physically prepared for the rigors of the military uh requires a certain physical preparation, I would say, as well as spiritually, you know, the more you can train yourself now and spiritual discipline and a regular prayer life, all of that will help uh, to make you a capable candidate, you know, to be able to uh, be able to serve. I guess the other thing too, you know, is, is seek out opportunities to interact with military chaplains. I think one of the in a sense, like tragedies of my situation, right? Was like in high school that I never, I never met a military chaplain, right? And so uh, I think, you know, for, for those that are interested, you know, seek out opportunities, reach out to uh, a chaplain at a, at a base nearby and see what's possible for you to be able to visit or, you know, contact the military archdiocese and see what, because you really, there's the idea of being a chaplain, but then there's, you know, the opportunity to see in action, like what does a military chaplain do on a day-to-day basis? And so I think exploring that can kind of crystallize, help to crystallize in one's mind, um, you know, the opportunity. Another kind of concrete thing I would say, you know, is even just being able to interact with uh, a veterans group on campus, like if you're at in college or high school or getting connected with a JROTC or an ROTC program might be a good exposure, you know, to what military life looks like and feels like a little bit. Um, so all of those things I would, I would encourage a young man to consider. Are you a football fan? I, I am, you know, I, 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 that was my sport in high school. So I, I am a football fan, but you know, I've moved around so much that I, I can't say that I have a strong, uh, a strong affiliation with any one particular team at this time. So, uh, well, you're rooting for Navy, right? I, I'm rooting for Navy, obviously, you know, on the, on the college <laughs> level, but like a pro team wise, you know, I'm, I'm sort Broncos. of indifferent, you know, I could be a Ravens fan, a Texan fan or a Broncos fan. So, uh, well, the, uh, the Navy has won, I believe the uh, last 15 of the last 20 games with army. That's correct. And uh, so it has obviously a very strong football program, comparatively speaking. 
And um, do you find the presence of Christ in sports? So, yeah, so I was at the Army-Navy game um, in December. And so, you know, I got to celebrate Mass uh, at West Point in the middle of a field house before we marched on to the game uh, and then was able to help uh, minister to a midshipman who had lost a parent earlier that morning. And so, you know, I found, you know, even in the midst of, you know, the craziness of and the interesting dynamics of the Army-Navy game that, you know, I was able to bring Christ, you know, into that situation in a, ver- a variety of ways. So, uh, so I, yeah, I personally, yeah, I love sports and uh, I think it's a great opportunity to, to grow in uh, discipline and physical strength. What position did you play when you played football? I was a safety and a wideout. All right. Father Paul Koska, the 3rd Battalion Chaplain at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Thank you so much for talking to me. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Catholic Military Life is a production of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, the AMS. The AMS was established by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985. Her mission? To provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, the civilian workforce employed by the federal government beyond U.S. borders, and the families of these populations, making the AMS the church's only truly global archdiocese. Among pastoral services provided by the AMS under Archbishop Timothy Brolio, celebration of the sacraments, endorsement of chaplains, evangelization and religious education, sacramental record-keeping, a thriving seminarian program, pastoral visitation by the bishops to military installations worldwide, and more. All told, 1.8 million Catholics all over the world depend on the AMS, based in Washington, D.C., to meet their spiritual and sacramental needs. The AMS receives no government funding. She depends entirely on private gifts for survival. For more information, visit millarch.org. That's M-I-L-A-R-C-H dot O-R-G.